are in this series on Ephesians, and um, the, uh, the task before us is, it's, it's an interesting task, because there's this marvelous thread that's being developed throughout this letter that Paul wrote to this group of Christians that he basically brought together. Um, in this city called Ephesus, which is on the western end of modern-day Turkey. <clears throat> Major city, uh, Roman city. In fact, it's one of the great jewels of the ancient Roman Empire. And um, as he's writing to this group of Christians that he invested so deeply in, you can tell he just loves them, he loves Jesus, he loves what's going on there. And it just kind of overflows out of him. And so you have to sift through all of the words in order to discover the message that he's trying to say. And so what we've been doing is going kind of chapter by chapter, more or less, trying to really see what that um, uh, overarching message really is. And um, I want to take just a couple of seconds and recap some of the things that we've learned. In Ephesians 2, what we learned is that we are saved not by our good works, but we are saved for good works. Does that make sense? There's nothing that you can do that saves you, but God saves us through Jesus so that we might continue his good work. Are you with me? And I think some of us know this intuitively, but, but I think that it's one of those, those recurring themes that you have to come back to. We're not saved by the work that we do, but we are saved it for in order that we might continue the work that Jesus started here. And for us, it means helping people um, who are separate from God find and follow Jesus. I mean, that's really what it, it, it's all about. And in fact, here at Thrive, we often talk about this idea of discipleship, becoming better disciples ourselves, and helping other people become disciples. That's the purpose of this church. Is why we put this whole thing together. And the, the challenge, though, is that it's not natural for us. It's not natural for us. Um, we want to stay with people who are like us, don't we? That look like us, that talk like us, that smell like us, that dress like us. You know, we have all these things that, you know, we like that part of, of our life. And, and, and to, to go outside of those preferences that we have requires a great deal of love. At least I think so. And so we become kind of the, this conduit for God's love. In fact, there's another one of Jesus' disciples, a man named John, who wrote, We love because he first loved us. You might have heard that one before. But that really means that we become kind of this conduit for what, what God is, is doing. And so the love that we have fills us up. It spills out to other people. And, and I think the real um, motivator, at least for me, is that people only learn that God loves them because we love them. That's certainly how it works with kids. Our kids understand that God loves them because we love them. That's why being a parent is, is, can be such a challenge, right? And, and that's, a, that's an issue that we all have to face. But it's not just with your kids. It's also with the people who live next door to you and the people who live across the street and, and the people who work in the cubicle next to you or whatever you know, your job is. And think about it this way. If we're a conduit, think in terms of a pipe. Okay? I want you to think in terms of a pipe. This is not in my house, by the way. <laughs> okay? 
But think of it in terms of a pipe. If you imagine with me, water flows through, through the pipe. But if that pipe, if the wall of that pipe is not strong enough and the flow is too much, that pipe will eventually burst because of the pressure, right? How many of you experienced this in the past? <laughs> burst pipes are not a lot of fun. Uh, my dad used to have a saying, water always wins. <laughs> Just driving down Mingo Road, up here today I saw that as it was over the road. Water always wins. And so if you have a pipe, if you have this conduit that's too um, thin, then, then what happens is the pressure builds up and it bursts. And so you have to make sure that you have the strength in that pipe. But also, and I think this is important, is that the temperature of the pipe can also determine what's going on. Because here's a little, I don't know if you know this or not, I learned this from MacGyver. Do you remember MacGyver? The first one, not the second one, okay? Not the reboot. The first MacGyver is that when water freezes, it expands. And of course, he did that. Uh, he, he taught me that because he was trying to break out of a freezer and, and he put water into a lock and it froze and the lock burst open and he was able to escape. And then he built a bomb out of duct tape and, and uh, a paper clip, I think. I don't know. Anyway, the... <laughs> But water will expand as it freezes. And so if, if your pipe is cold and the water is cold and eventually that thing freezes over, your pipe will burst. Does that make sense? So if we think in terms of conduit, if we think in terms of being a, a pipe, of being some type of pipeline of what God, God's love for us, this has some implications to us. Conduit must be strong enough to handle what's moving, but it also needs to be warm enough to handle what's moving. Does that make sense? Right? And so, thinking about this, Paul understands this, although he probably didn't understand in terms of pipes, but Paul understands this, and so he prays for us in Ephesians chapter 3, he prays for our strength so that we can experience the fullness of God, which keeps us warm towards Him. Does, is, is this, am I connecting the dots here? I think this is really important. Love takes strength. Now, I think we, we also understand this intuitively, but I think we need to revisit that, is that to love someone takes a certain amount of inner strength. And so Paul prays, I pray that you would be strengthened in your inner being. Well, this is the reason why. It takes that kind of strength to be that conduit of God's love. Either we turn cold to it, or we're not strong enough to handle the amount of love that God wants to push through us. Does that make are you with me? Nod your head so I know you're awake, right? Yeah. I think this is a, kind of an important thing. Love takes strength. And this is especially true when we're trying to reconcile broken relationships or connect with people who are far from God. I think it takes a certain amount of strength to do that for each one of us. You may be a stronger pipe than the next person, but maybe weaker than the person down the road. It doesn't matter. The point is that we all need to be strengthened in order to be that channel for God's love for the people around us. And so I want to pick up the story here in Ephesians chapter 4. Pick up this message in Ephesians chapter 4. Let me just start by reading this, this first little bit here. This is verses 1 through 6. I, meaning Paul, therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of, you, of the calling to which you have been called, 
with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another, what's the word? In love, right? <clears throat> Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And there Paul goes again. He just gets all excited and he starts talking about, about how big God actually is. But notice here that he urges unity. This is what I find so interesting about this. He urges unity um, at the end of kind of this cycle of love and understanding. And, and this can be tough. Unity can be tough because other people have different ideas. Other people have different values. Therefore, it's hard to, to maintain unity. I have this, uh, I think I might have mentioned this before, I've had this big pile of mulch in my driveway. Um, I'm doing some lawn and garden work, and a neighbor of mine is a, is a pastor, and he says, what, what you doing? And I said, well, I'm, I'm moving mulch. He goes, man, that looks like a lot of work. And I said, no, man, this is therapy. And he says, therapy? I said, yeah, because I can put the mulch and it stays where I want it to. It doesn't have a different opinion than anybody else, and you know, just... And he goes, well, don't let that therapy kill you. <laughs> I said, okay. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, but, but unity, when we're trying to, to be unified, can be a big challenge because people do have other ideas. They do have other things that are important to them. And so how do we maintain that unity? Well, he talks about this idea of walking uh, in a manner that's worthy of your calling. And so he, he calls out a couple of characteristics that I want to point out here. And the first one is humility. What does humility mean? Humility means to operate without pride. And, and, and I don't mean that we don't take pride in the work that we do. That's not what I'm talking about. But when we elevate ourselves over others because of either our position or our experience or whatever, that's not humility, that's pride. Does this make sense? And by the way, that will turn people off. That will cause people to be uh, ununified. And you can probably think of examples in your own life where you've seen this. Second thing is he talks about gentleness. I want to give you a different definition of gentleness. I learned this a few years ago, and I thought this was important. Gentleness is power under control. Does that make sense? When you think about being gentle with your children, this comes into kind of crystal clear clarity, crystal clarity here, is that you have this, this notion of, I have so much more physical power over my children because they're smaller, they're still developing, and yet I need to be gentle. So it is power under control, right? So gentleness, when we're dealing with other people, because when we're rough with them, when we're uh, exercising our power over them, we have to be very careful because that too can break unity. Third, patience. <laughs> It's another word for endurance. In fact, those of you who remember the King James Version of the Bible, this is called long-suffering. What a great word that is. We should just bring that one back, don't you think? Yeah. Patience. Patience is about endurance. And when we get impatient with people, again, that causes a break in the relationship. Because, and, and you have to be careful because... Because I understand there's a, a difference between um, needing somebody to move faster and impatience. Impatience is really um, consistency over time when you're just 
demanding, demanding, demanding. But you have to be patient with people. We have to endure. We have to allow them to develop, to allow them to grow at their own pace. That's fun, isn't it? Yeah, but that's how we maintain unity. We maintain unity by doing that. And then finally, bearing with one another in love. And this idea of bearing with, um, in Greek, is really this idea of sustaining. is to sustain with people, walk with them, deal with the issues as they come up, but do it in love with this idea of a sacrificial kind of love. And here's the thing. I think unity, just in general, is absolutely crucial in Paul's mind to the future of the church and to the kingdom of God. I think he sees unity as being that central kind of component because he's talked in, in several places, there's no Jew nor Greek, no Jew, no non-Jew. There's no male nor female. There's no slave. There's no free. It's just brothers and sisters attempting to follow Jesus in daily life, bringing reconciliation and love to the rest of the world, helping people who are separate from God find and follow Jesus. That's what it really comes down to. That's really what he's after here. And the only way to do that is, is unity. Because how many of you want to be part of an organization or a group of people that are infighting, that are backbiting or backstabbing? And how many? No. In fact, some of you are going, that's my workplace right now, and I don't want to be any part of that. This, this is reality of when we don't have a unified um, structure together, when we don't have that, we have disunity, when that thing is broken apart, that works against us. And I think that works against um, the kingdom as well. People see that and they kind of wonder. <clears throat> and here's the thing. It's easy to find division. It's difficult to stay connected. It's easy to find differences. It's a lot harder to find common ground. You have to work at it. And so that's why he says you've got to have some humility. You've got to have some patience. You've got to have gentleness. And you've got to bear with one another in love. And it, it makes perfect sense. But then he makes this shift. And I want you to see this. <clears throat> but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And he gave the, um, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Now, this is Ephesians chapter 4, verse, um, this is 7 and 11, but chapter 11 has um, gotten a lot of uh, press recently in the last 10 or 15 years because the church needs to have this leadership structure. We have the five-fold ministry is what we call it, and you have to have apostles and prophets, and, and, and I, I totally get that. But there's another thing that's going on within this particular verse, and this is the one that I think we need to pay close attention to. I'm, I'm not disagreeing with it. We need to have those in our leadership. But here's the thing. He's been talking about unity, and yet, he says here, but grace was given to each one of us. So there is, is unity. We are unified, but we are not uniform. Do you see that? And remember, he, Paul in other places spends a lot of time talking about the body and each part doing its own thing. So we have unity as a body, but we are not uniform. I need you to do what God has gifted and graced you to do, and you need me. We need each other. Does this make sense? We are unified, but we are not uniform. 
We're not all doing the same thing. We're doing different things, but we're all moving in the same direction. I think this is really, really important. <clears throat> now, moving on. Now, he's given this fivefold ministry to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the, what's the word? Unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature personhood, okay, I'm just going to say it's not just manhood, personhood, uh, or maturity, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may be no longer, uh, that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Hmm. So the job of the staff, the job of the leadership is to do what? Is to equip. Equip the saints, that's the congregation, for two things. For the work of ministry and for the building up of the body. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Because it seems to me there's two directions that's going on here. For the work of ministry is really about going outside the four walls, ministering to the world. But to build up the body is inside. So we're talking about inside and outside the church. And I'm going to be real careful with this because it's not either or, it's both and. And sometimes uh, here at Thrive, we talk about this idea that we want to serve the uh, world out of our passion but we serve the church out of our giftedness. And each person is gifted in some way to build up the body. But at the same time, we can't ignore what's going on outside the four walls. Does this make sense? It's not either or, it's both and. In fact, Jesus made this stunning statement at one point. He said, people will understand that you're my disciples by your love for one another. And that's the, that's the attraction. When you're loving and caring for one another, there are people outside who, who will say, I want to be a part of that. They want to be part of that love. And so it's inclusionary in the sense that it's ever-expanding. We have room for other people. And we want other people to become and, and be part of this love type of relationship we have because we're building up the body. Are you with me? So, for the work of the ministry and for the building up of the body. And then notice this, until. Keyword, until we attain to the unity, to the knowledge of the Son of God, and to, ultimately, maturity. You see, we're, we're after these things that we're, we're trying to minister to the people outside of the church. We're trying to build up the body so that we can be unified, so that we can know God, and we can become mature, which means that we can be like Jesus. We can act like him. We can think like him. We can love like him. And I don't know about you, but i got a long way to go with that. That kind of maturity. And if we're going to be growing as a church, then we need to be growing in, in our maturity. This thing will continue. So let's keep going. Verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, 
from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow uh, so that it builds itself up in love. And here we go with more of the body language again that Paul likes to go back to where the differences within the body help the overall thing be healthy and to grow. Now, I want to address this one point <clears throat> right here. Speaking the truth in love. I mentioned this before. We're really good at wanting to speak the truth. We're not so good at in love part. But there's something here that I think is really important. Because this idea of speaking the truth in Greek has a little nuance. It means telling the truth. So it's not just speaking the truth from a position of authority, because I'm not sure that's really humble, right? But it's telling the truth. And I think there are two sides to this that we forget. And I think this is really important for us to pay attention to. We're so eager to tell others the truth. But the other side of it is, we don't like to tell ourselves the truth, do we? I am really good at self-deception. I am really good at that. In fact, I think it's a talent. I can deceive myself. But the point is, is when we're trying to tell the truth to ourselves or to anyone else, what we're attempting to do is to deal with reality. And I don't know about you, but sometimes reality is so overwhelming that I need the love to help me understand it. Not just when I'm telling someone else, but I have to give myself a certain amount of self-love. I have listened to people beat themselves up over things. And the words that come out of their mouth, they would never dream of speaking to another human being. Why on earth would you treat yourself that way? You hearing what I'm saying? We're, we're so eager to deal with the truth and we beat ourselves up for it because maybe if I beat myself up enough, nobody else will have to. That's not telling the truth and love to yourself. It's not just about telling another person the truth, it's about telling yourself the truth. And if you're going to deal with reality, as painful as that may be, you need an extra measure of love to do it. I think that is one of the biggest takeaways for the church today. And I see it all the time. You probably do as well. He continues on in verse 16. The whole point to this is to make the body grow. Because the truth of the matter is, is that it's really difficult, it's really difficult for anything to grow, including myself, if I don't tell myself the truth in love. If I can't help my brother or my sister deal with their reality, as painful as it might be, without an element of love. And that's why Paul prayed a chapter ago that we would be strengthened in our inner being because love takes strength. And I think sometimes it takes an incredibly strong person to give themselves enough love to be able to deal with the reality. Are you with me? I think that's an important thing for us to remember. So overall, this thread that's been going throughout the entire book, we're saved 
for good works. And, and to do that needs love, and love means, needs strength. And here's the big idea. Here's the thing I want you to remember when you walk out the door today. If you want unity, you need maturity. Unity needs maturity. It is one thing to connect with another person, but to be united for a period of time takes maturity. Um, this year, I'm doing a couple of different weddings. And I love doing weddings. They're a lot of fun. And I always do pre-marriage counseling with the people that are getting married. And one of the things that we harp on is the fact that you have to grow because unity needs maturity. Now, this is not a condemnation. I understand that sometimes relationships fall apart. And I know that, that it causes a great deal of pain. But nine times out of ten, really at the, at the heart of it is, is a maturity issue. Almost always. One part of the marriage relationship has not matured. Because unity takes maturity. Now that's just one example. You have friendships, same way. You have probably work relationships, same way. You have church relationships, friendships that work the same way. You probably have family relationships that work the same way. Unity takes maturity. You have to learn and to grow. And you know what? Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it's painful. We need love to connect, but we need maturity to stay connected. And it's so important for us to grow personally so that we can do that. To show real love for another person, we need to grow. Do you see how this is all connected? Do you see how this works? We have to do these good works. God's got those things planned out for us in advance. We need love in order to do them. But if we want to stay in that love relationship with people, to really be the kingdom of God that Jesus talked about, we have to grow and we have to be mature. It's all connected. At Thrive, we, we talk about um, a couple of our core values. There's one that we say at the end of every week, we thrive only when others thrive too, right? Well, another one of our core values is we thrive together. We thrive together. We need each other. And so if we are going to be unified as a church, we all have to mature as a church, do all these things. So Ephesians chapter 4 Yes, it's about church leadership. But at the heart of it all is Paul's fundamental message that in order to be the church, in order to grow as a body, we have to grow individually. We have to have that kind of purpose with us. Makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love.